Welcome to Woke and Wired, a new conversation about expanded consciousness and entrepreneurship. I was becoming aware that one person an hour is slow change for this world. With a media company, and as you know, we like reach 12 million people a month now, and I just feel like the capacity for inspiring change on the greater scale and you know more amazing people to the wellness party is like what it's been all about look everyone has to show up at their job with like a set of skills that the job requires but then i think you need like a backpack of purpose you need to show up every day with the thing that makes you feel like and this is adding something to the world that i need added right Our entry points all line up around food. We all have that in common and and it just does provide an amazing foundation, bedrock, you know, the thing that brings us all together. Welcome back to the Woken Wired podcast. I'm your host, Xenia, and on this podcast, we explore the topics of expanded consciousness, success in the age of digital possibility, and the intersection between spirituality and business. And on episode 51, I can't believe we are this far, my guest is the co-founder of a website you probably know really well, well and good. It's a leading health and wellness digital space and media company with a community of over 12 million monthly visitors. Melissa is also the Senior Vice President of Brand of Leaf Group's Fitness and Wellness Division, and she it was named one of the nine most creative entrepreneurs of 2018 by Inc. Magazine. She also has appeared on Good Morning America, CBS, and so many other cool places. She also just released a book that she co-wrote with Alexia Brew, who is the other co-founder of Well and Good, and it's the first Well and Good cookbook with over 100 healthy recipes and expert advice for better living. I am incredibly honored to be included in the book alongside people like Venus Williams, Gabrielle Bernstein, and Dr. Mark Hyman with my superfood galaxy oatmeal recipe. It's on page 33 of the cookbook. And like I mentioned in this conversation, I get so many cookbooks in the mail and this one is special. I really do want to make every recipe that's in there and it's so nice to hold and the recipes are functional and accessible to most people because they're all very little ingredients. Anyway, we dive more into the cookbooks later. I'm going to link it in the show notes in under the podcast and also on welcomewire.com or just find it at your local bookstore. And this episode is special because we start by talking about the cookbook, of course. It just came out. It's a big celebration and a big accomplishment. But then we get into behind the scenes of how Melissa and her co-founder built well and good almost 10 years ago with That's how much it cost to build the website. And then in 2018, the company was acquired by the Leaf Group for $10 million. So I asked Melissa a lot of questions of what happened in between 
And we dig deep into the topic of purpose and meaningfulness and how that's really something that fueled a lot of success behind their work. We talk about what role social media played in building well and good to where it is today. We also talk about how Melissa and Alexia chose the 100 people that they featured in their first cookbook and how they built their well and good community of experts of people that are very well known around the world. And I also asked Melissa, how would one go about being featured in Well and Good? What do you do if you want your work to be spotlighted in the publication? And yes, you do get some answers and direct pointers and points of action for that. Melissa also shares how she went from studying psychoanalysis and being deep in that work and found herself in wellness And we also discuss the difference between building a personal brand versus a media company in today's digital landscape. If you enjoy this show, please take a moment to leave it a rating and a review on iTunes. It really does help spread the word and reach more people and create more positive impact. And special welcome to those of you who are coming here from the Numinous, the Now Age podcast. I was a guest on it last week, and it was such a pleasure and an honor to go deep into the conversation about conscious social media with Ruby Warrington, the founder of The Now Age and The Numinous. So if you haven't caught that yet, go and check it out. The response on my eight-week conscious social media program was just mind-blowing. It was way above and beyond anything I had imagined, hoped for, or planned for, so It's clear to me that this more meaningful and conscious approach to social media and business is needed in the world. So I am already thinking about and planning the next launch to run this program. So stay tuned for that. You can find all the details linked in the show notes or on WokenWire.com. Guys, I am so excited to welcome Melissa, co-founder of Well & Good, on the podcast. I'm just, first of all, filled with so much gratitude because I connected with Well and Good in the very beginning of both their journey and my journey. And there was so much synchronistic and aligned collaboration. I remember the day when I still was working full-time in fashion and I got featured in Well and Good. And it was this whole dedicated feature about my breakfasts and the heart bowls and acai. And it was just such a starstruck moment because I had been a fan for Well and Good for some time then. And then we have done some work together with some of the brands that Well and Good works with. And we did my morning routine video shot at my old apartment. And then you guys supported the launch of the limited edition Heart Bowl when we did a a small little run that was blessed by Rockstar Shaman and all the proceeds went to a child birthing center in Bali. and. Over the years, I've just been so incredibly amazed to see how the business has grown, how you guys keep staying relevant, and I am so excited to have you here, Melissa, on the podcast to talk all things business, digital media, and of course, the cookbook, the cookbook that I have in my hands right now, the first published book by Well and Good, maybe out of many more, we don't know yet, but for now, let's just focus on this beauty, which I'm so honored and grateful to be included in. Last night, I was flipping through the pages 
And I was telling my fiance, literally, I want to make everything out of this cookbook. It's so, so gorgeous. So Melissa, let's dive right into it. The book is in the forefront of our minds. Tell me about how it came together. Oh my God. I Apparently it came together a lot faster than books normally do. When you work in digital, you think that everything can happen like overnight, you know, right. or like in an hour, but things that require like paper and printers and like setting type and things like that tend to take a little while, but ours, um, it burst in a year and had a pretty fast gestation. But it's funny because Alexia and I wanted to do a book for a really long time. Like when you're a digital media company and you're about wellness, there's something a little ironic about like, hey, let's connect about wellness through this device called my laptop or my phone. <laughs> like it's just like, we're also saying put your, those things down for wellness a lot of the time, right? And so for us, like it's always been about like, doing experiences, doing well in good talks, doing well in good retreats with our readers. And so finding a product that made sense for us was like as a book was, you know, we were noodling on this for a long time. And there was an editor at Clarkson Potter who like makes the most gorgeous cookbooks who like, she was like you, Cindy, like knew us from the early days and like every couple of years would check in with us and be like, do you got a book for me? Do you got a book for me? And like, we finally had a book for her. That wasn't like, you know, Alexia's recipes or my personal recipes. Instead, it's the go-to recipes of 100 wellness experts and like healthy chefs and healthy public figures. And so like Well and Good itself and the people you find on this site, it's just like a collection of like the best of across like the healthy eating spectrum. So we have the vegans, we have paleos, we have the low FODMAPs and the gluten-frees and like it's all there and a kind of best ofs now. So I think that's why you want to make everything because like I probably have five recipes out of like, you know, 25 say that I just make rinse and repeat that are good and publishable. So we just took like the best of everybody's. It's like that, right? Like, so it includes like lots of, lots of people that you and I, and you know, your readers love and listen to like Dr. Mark Hyman is, is in the book. Um, Padma Lakshmi has a recipe in the book. You have an amazing recipe in the book. Lots. And I happen to be at the very top of the list. When I saw it, I almost <laughs> fell off my chair because I'm right next to Dave Asprey yeah. and Marcus Antebi, who's the founder of Juice Press. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, no big deal. Rockstar company, right? <laughs> <laughs> totally rockstar. Yeah, I mean, well, you should tell us or your listeners what recipe is in the book because I think it's symbolic. Well, first of all, you guys need to go and get this book. I already have been getting a lot of people interested in the book. I remember when you guys announced that it's coming out and I shared, people were just so excited about it. And now that I'm holding it in my hands, it's just, you know, I get sent a lot of books and a lot of cookbooks because of the nature of what I do and people want to be featured on my blog. And not all of them. I actually want to open over and over and create things out of them. But there's something about this one, the way you guys curated everything, the way that things are functional and the way it reflects a more holistic approach to food that's not limited to one food category, but hits a lot of them at once. And the fact that you guys also feature doctors, you know, Robin Burzen, founder of Parsley Health, who was my personal doctor at some point, her recipes in there. So it's people who I trust who live the lifestyle. And the recipe that I have contributed is the Superfood Galaxy Oatmeal, which you guys took to the next level with the photography. 
It looked so beautiful. And you guys called me the bowls guru behind the popular blog Breakfast Criminals. Thank you so much. And I love that when you guys included here is me talking about that how we eat is just as important as what's on our plate. So it's this intentionality and the thoughtfulness that goes into eating versus just being obsessed with what's on your plate. And I'm curious to hear what your experience what that is and what how that's been built into the book. Well, I'm so glad that that is a meaningful addition for you as an as an author contributor to the cookbook because look, so many people have very different and passionate food ethos that they bring to, you know, how they feel about food or ingredients or cooking. And we tried to capture the diversity of that across the spectrum as I was saying before. So like every contributor there's like a little head note they're called, right? Where their take on food in like the smallest possible way is is hinted at. So you get a sense of where they're coming from and in food. And for me, it's really interesting. It kind of happens in wellness that you're just on the front lines of all like the revolutionary stuff that's happening and in the healthy food movement and in the not so healthy, you know, food movement too. You you hear a lot of things, you, you know, you want to like help people make smart choices, demystify some overpromising and explain some science. It, it for me, food has always been a source of like pleasure and like community and I get really zenned out just like chopping vegetables, but I think for a lot of people it's a very confusing, bewildering area. And they don't know what to trust and there are so many trends and the jumping around to like how they should eat, you know, healthy. Like there's just so much inundation of, of information there. So for us, it's like, let's just be like calm and measured about baseline what we need. Like this is 2019. We need simple. We don't need overcomplication of, of, of our lives any more than the internet has already given us. So the goal was to really just like pick recipes that had great ingredients in them. Not too many could be whipped up in like 20 minutes nothing too esoteric or hard to find. Like there are lots of superfoods that you can get in your grocery store now. And then there are ones that are just like, you know, you have to do some like still foraging for, so to speak. And we left those out because we think that like, we still have work to do to, you know, get people to cook and, you know, time and expensiveness and taste are three things that healthy food still gets like attacked for not having. So we just really want to eliminate all those obstacles. So, you know, all the recipes are just like short, easy. These are literally the recipes that these people have made in their own homes, like over and over again, like a trillion times. And we'll make a trillion more because they're busy too. Like you can bet that Robin Burson is busy as hell, right? You know, growing her business, being a mom and doing all the things that, you know, that a lot of your listeners and well and good readers are, are going through. So, I think like that with this extra little layer, the functionality of foods, I think now people really expect their food to do something for their health in a very concrete way. And, you know, like, what is it that avocados are doing for us? Well, are, they're helping your balance, your mood and your blood sugar. And guess what? They can help your skin too. So we, all the recipes are tagged for what the benefits are. Like, this is a recipe for better skin. This is a recipe for better mood and so on. And then Robin um, and lots of the other experts contributed those sections with the science behind um, what we know about what ingredients can do for our body. I'm so curious because with Well and Good, can you just give us an idea of the scope of how many readers you have in your community? 
Sure. Well and Good has a monthly audience of 12 million. That's incredible. And how many social followers? That's a great question. I would have to just like share that with you in a like follow up because like I just don't have like the Pinterest and all of that handy in front of me right now. But yeah, the social followers are, I don't know, maybe a fifth of that number if I were. Yeah. Right. A lot. Oh yeah. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. no matter what it is, here's what I'm really curious about. There's so many directions that you guys as the co-founders and your team could have taken this, but you decided to choose food, that food was the common language that you wanted to use to bring this relationship with your readers deeper. Why, why food? Is that, would you say that's the biggest category on the website or why do you think that's such an important point of connection? Food is definitely the biggest category on well and good, whether it's recipes or nutrition advice or, you know, learning about a trend. It's, it's what we all have in common. Like we all have to eat. You know, we don't have to go to the gym. We probably should do something for fitness, but you know, we, we don't have to, you know, buy moisturizers without parabens. Like, you know, it, our entry points all line up around food. We all have that in common and, and it just does provide an amazing foundation, bedrock, you know, the thing that brings us all together. I think it's also the place where there's a lot of, how should I say this? Like it's both something that it's very DIY, right? Like everybody can cook, whether they believe this or not, you know, we can go to a grocery store and, you know, get some ingredients and and make food for ourselves. And I think there's like such aspiration around doing something so basic in a way, having the time to do that suddenly become like a luxury. And we're really interested in like returning things back to a time where we just make the time to do that. I mean, like we spend a lot of time watching Netflix, like love Netflix. But when I, you know, when I struggle, like where's my time going to come from for things like cooking or, you know, it's like, I got to watch where I'm giving my time. So I don't know, back to your question. I think like, you know, wellness really can begin or frankly end in the kitchen for a lot of people. You know, it's, it's a place where we really felt like we could start and that a lot of our community has a lot to share and, and say a lot about. Definitely. And speaking of community, so this is another very interesting thing that you chose this to be a community effort with a pool of contributors of incredible thought leaders in wellness and beyond. How did you activate such an incredible community to contribute and how did you select those people? You know, the the wonderful thing is when you're a journalist, you're in touch with these amazing people for, you know, content anyway, right? So our journalists are in touch with with these wellness experts for articles that, you know, they're researching or, you know, reporting on. Many of them kind of date back to the, you know, original movers and shakers of the wellness scene here in New York. You know, when we, Alexia and I created Well and Good and we were, you know, discovering boutique fitness studios as they were coming on the scene or new juice bars or new healthy restaurants or meeting new nutritionists who just graduated from the Institute of Integrative Nutrition and were building their practices. Like this was like a first generation wellness scene in New York. And these were like passionate entrepreneurs and like fitness instructors and transformative people who, you know, were at the start when we were. And as a result, I think 
there was a bonding that happens, you know, you're first in the boat together kind of thing. And so like Joey Gonzalez, who became the CEO of Barry's Bootcamp, you know, we met him when he came to New York to help open the first studios out East. Amanda Freeman of SLT and, and Frank Lippman, we, we knew early on. Gabby Bernstein had one book and she had just published when we first met her. So, you know, she went on to be a, several times over, you know, New York Times bestselling author and friend of Oprah. And, you know, it's, I think some of those relationships we've just, we've just bonded to, to each other from, from early days. This is such an interesting aspect of it as well. It's those relationships I've, from my experience, have noticed that some of those relationships that I made in the very beginning of my diving into the wellness space, some of them have completely fallen off and some are still there. They just have transformed in their shape and how they work. I am curious what you have learned from about relationships and specifically business relationships and building community from all these years of really harnessing relationships with people who are just starting out and and now being at a place where it's just such a powerful tribe that you have put together. Mm, thank you. Well, I get a lot of joy out of being a, a connector. I think, you know, whether that's you know, meeting somebody, hearing about the change they want to make in, in the wellness world and, you know, doing an article about them or with them for the site. Like Dr. Drew Ramsey was was kind of like that. I met him really early and he is a psychiatrist who's really interested in brain foods and how food can help things like anxiety and depression. And he's since become a very big name and a leader in that space. And I just felt like there was something about about that work and that emphasis that was going to be something that we really needed in this country. So I just, I don't know if it's something that, you know, that I just have. I think a lot of journalists have this, but it's finding people who, you know, want to do great things in the world and, and shining a spotlight on their work. And I think sometimes we're rewarded for that, you know, creating that spotlight for those people insofar as like it, it does bond you to some people who are appreciative and know the impact that Well and Good can make on their businesses. Or, you know, when we first covered Taryn Toomey and we were the first folks to do so, she emailed us later that day and said, oh my God, thank you so much. This is an amazing piece. And the following 12 outlets reached out to me and now want to write about me. So it is a little bit like megaphoning the superpowers of so many of these wonderful people. And many of them do stay close. Dr. Ramsey just co-hosted the most recent Well and Good retreat at Miraval in Austin with us. And Taryn, we do things with her and her team often. And she has a recipe in the, in the cookbook and just like love her and love the class. So I feel like, you know, I'm always wanting good people to, to be, to find each other, whether that's like on the business side in a way that doesn't like include the reader necessarily, right? Like we're always introducing the reader to these people, but sometimes these people need to know each other as well and, and, and collaborate. That's always a, a really exciting thing for me too. You know, especially there's so many women in wellness trying to do things that haven't been done before. And so making introductions, you know, to help sort of fill support voids or, you know, hear somebody with an answer who's, who's been through this. Like I get a lot of satisfaction out of doing that. Right. And you guys probably get so many requests of being published or being featured. And to someone listening who might be in, have that dream of being featured on Well and Good, what would you say in terms of how you guys as a team choose who you're going to feature and support? Mm -hmm. 
That's such a lovely question. I think the way to to be on Well and Good is to first be a, a close reader of Well and Good, to know how our health writers or food editors you know, tackle those topics and to kind of use one of those existing articles as a, like, I'm like this person and this article, but with this whole different, you know, specialness about me. I think that that can be really helpful to do some of that translation work. If you kind of just show up and say like, I'm awesome, cover me without a, frankly, like a why care about you, what's different, how is this beneficial to the reader and not just use the the business person? I think you have to think through those things because we're always really like empathizing with our readers. It's always like, does this serve the reader? Is there something here the reader needs? If it doesn't, you know, if it's too niche, too local, only, you know, one eighteenth of our readership can partake of it, we're probably not going to cover it. How can this, you know, make sense for 12 million people? Is it something they can do at home? Is this a piece of advice rather than a report on an opening in a city most people can never get to? So it's sort of thinking through those aspects. I also think like building a relationship back to your great question about connection. People do build relationships with our editors. You know, they are invited to events and experiences to kind of get a sense of a, of a company or a yoga studio or leggings, like what have you, that it runs the gamut. And, and building a, a friendship and a relationship with those editors really helps too. There's so many of those brands that, you know, I knew before well and good and sort of when we started well and good, some of those people were our first advertisers, like Yael of Red Flower and Barbara Close of Naturopathica, like wonderful women who knew me as a beauty director in, in the magazine world and have been supporters all along. So I think you never know where those relationships are, are going to go. And you know the business side needs it as much as the media side needs that. Right. You never know. So you better be nice and kind to everyone. It really can't hurt. You may as well (laughs) be someone people want to work with and connect, you know, other good people too. So, right. Yeah. So I am currently looking at your Instagram profile and if you guys want to follow along, it's Melissa Joy. Is that your middle name? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it says co-founder of Well and Good, obsessed with wellness and awesome people. I am well and good, well and good eats and the well and good cookbook pre-order now. So <laughs> tell me a little bit more because we all are most likely familiar with the I am well and good account. We see it every day. We get inspired every day, but let's dive a little bit more into the world of you. <laughs> okay. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> so you're obsessed with wellness and awesome people. Tell me more about that. <laughs> I feel like you, you brought it out of me already. I mean, I am but I'm happy to like go over. I feel like I feel like the word obsession was something that I really wanted to reclaim for wellness a long time ago. I feel like we mostly had unhealthy obsessions and I was like, well, it this was like this is like a 10-year-old phrase now. It might it might have exceeded it, it may have met its expiration date when, now that I'm thinking about it, but for me I was like I wanted well and good to be people's healthy obsession and I wanted more healthy obsessions and obsession in a kind of ironic way. I mean, obviously true obsessions are probably not a good thing, but I wanted my life to be, you know, more surrounded by like the ability to get to fun workouts and like learn about great ingredients to cook with that may have like functional benefits and Yes, tell me about the latest cute sneakers and leggings while we're at it. And here's an expert to follow. Like, I just wanted more of that to 
be like on the surface of my life and to be able to share that with more people. Before I started Well and Good with Alexia, there were six, seven years of my life where I was training as a psychoanalyst. So I was a big personal therapy head for a long time and it led me to kind of wanting to know more about the textbook, (laughs) if you will. So when you get training in psychoanalysis, it's still pretty traditional in that you have to do thousands of hours on the couch as a patient several times a week, like a minimum of three, but preferably four. So I did that for a really long time. And then, you know, sat certain exams and got a supervisor was really well known and started seeing patients. And I did that for many years. And I loved that work. I loved the deep work of it. I loved, you know, talking with people, mostly listening to people and helping them sort through how their lives could be, you know, evolved and how they could be the master of that. And at the same time, I was becoming aware that like one person an hour is slow change for this world. You know, with a media company, and as you know, we like reach 12 million people a month now. And I just, I feel like the capacity for inspiring change on the greater scale and, you know, more amazing people to the, to the wellness party is like what it's been all about. So that's, you know, and the Melise Joy thing, I feel really lucky that my parents gave me that cheesy middle name because it reminds me, it reminds me of the, the joy part of myself when, when we have a lot of like, you know, things we need to solve for in, in this country. So that's my vibe on my personal <laughs> Instagram. Mm-hmm. So also brings me to this question of, so you've been running well and good for how long? Almost 10 years. Wow. Almost 10 years. Yeah. So I've been running Breakfast Criminals for a little over six and I Sometimes I feel like it's super relevant and it's so exciting and there's so much more I still can do. And some days I'm just not excited about it. And my podcast and my public speaking and my conscious social media coursework feels so much more aligned with me. So I'm curious how with running a business for 10 years, how do you keep staying excited about it and make sure that it's relevant in your world? Mm. Wow. Okay, it's it's a, that's a hard one to answer. I feel like those are two like really big questions. I I personally I think like finding the the meaningfulness of this work has has made parts of it really effortless to be honest, right? Like I get up in the morning and I'm excited to do the work that I do and inspire others to do it and and help them do it. You know, now at Well and Good I I'm mostly the wind at people's backs. Like it's a well-oiled machine and the editors are incredibly smart and passionate and have great ideas and I think it's I don't know, I think it's like in Look, everyone has to show up at their job with like a set of skills that the job requires. But then I think you need like a backpack of purpose. You need to show up every day with the thing that makes you feel like, and this is adding something to the world that I need added, right? So at Well and Good, it's pretty clear. Most of our team is like, it cares about health and wellness either because like they've had cancer in their family or they were an athlete as a kid or lots of reasons, right? And I think having that makes everything easier. And like, you don't feel the pressure in quite the same way when you're in digital media, which less, you know, let's face it, it's grueling, right? The internet does not turn off. And we all feel we can be reached at any time and reach others at any time. And I think that can be create a lot of extra stress and anxiety and pressure and always on overwhelm feeling. So 
I think, you know, if, if you have that personal stake, some serious skin in the game that you know you're doing something that helps others, it can help you get through. That purpose can help you get through those stressy times for sure. You know, this is this really reminds me of an interview I did for this podcast with founder of Lotus Way, Katie Hess. Mm, I love Katie. I love Katie. She had a very interesting insight as well because she was working as a flower consultant. So she would help people heal through prescribing floral essences. Yep. And then she did a similar calculation as you did. She literally sat down and calculated how many people she could see one-on-one before she, until the end of her life. And it wasn't enough. She said, I want to make a difference, not in the thousands, but in the millions. So I'm going to stop my practice and I'm going to launch this company. Wow. And it's so interesting to see when you do have that backpack of purpose, it's actually opening something up for me because I feel like in this digital world, in the wellness world, a lot of us are focused on personal brands and sometimes they grow into something bigger that's a community of people and a platform like you guys did. But having that personal brand or being the blogger or being the influencer is how I would say most people run their digital businesses right now. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to get caught up in in yourself. And I find that I've had a lot of attempts and taken steps toward making Breakfast Criminals more of a community platform. And I have weekly takeovers and I have guest recipes. But still, I notice that anytime brands reach out to me and people who actually fuel my business with their money, they want to work with me. They want me to wear their clothes. They want me blending in their blenders. You know, it's it all comes back to me. So it's I'm not even sure where I'm going with this right now. It's become like this rumble, but it's an interesting thing because you have stayed majorly behind the scenes. Would mm. that be a right thing to say? Maybe, maybe. I mean, it's really interesting for me to hear your experience of it because I feel like, you know, we're in your backyard and always have been. So if that's your take on it, I feel like you're probably right. I mean, there's some purposefulness to it. I mean, Alexia mm-hmm. and I didn't call this like the, the Alexia and Melise show. We, we mm-hmm. never put our personal like stories into the reason why it was more of a, the reason why was like more that we felt like kind of America needed us. And at first it was like New York needed us. Like it needed somebody to be saying, look, all this cool stuff is happening in wellness and we can report on it journalistically and not just say that everything works or that nothing works and not talk about bikini bodies or weight loss as a way to do it either. Like wellness isn't about those things. So, you know, it was, it was, purposeful that well and good was its own entity and community. And um, again, that really goes back to the cookbook. Like you don't have a hundred recipes from us. You probably don't want a hundred recipes from us. There'd be a lot of veggie bowls over and over again. Maybe that, you know, everybody already knows how to make no surprise anymore, but yeah, I think it was like more of a community thing and, you know, more about movements that we could, you know, start or support than our own personal. Yeah, I, I, th- I think it's different. You know, I, I can see what you're saying about like, you know, there's like um, an influencer who becomes a media company. And I think we just started maybe more as a media company. And my influence is way more behind the scenes than my personal. Right. And it's an interesting thing because I have definitely noticed you guys, you and Alexia coming forward more in the past couple of years. And I remember you guys did a segment with Oprah like it's no big deal. (laughs) So I definitely have noticed that. But still, I mean, to me, it's just even maybe 
a more important skill of being able to build trust without having your brand associated with this, with just one person, you know, because you guys built the trust with the brand. And I would say it's easier to build trust when it's a human behind it and you somehow build it from the get-go with a brand. So what do you think are some things you guys did to build such a loyal community? I think journalism played like a big role in that for us. You know, we met at a spa travel and lifestyle magazine and it was literally a, you know, like probably the best job that anyone could ever like dream up at a, like a dinner party. If you were asked, right? Like we visited spas around the world and like reported on them. Like, were they good? How were they good? So we learned a lot about wellness through that like global spa lens, but it was, it was funny. Like, even though we'd had like acupuncture and Reiki and Ayurveda and all these places where it had originated with amazing healers and stuff in New York and in, in American, North American media, the way wellness was being covered was not with reverence and inquiry and curiosity and like science backing it up. It was funny. It was like either heavily scientific or, or kind of treated as fluffy. Like, oh, here's an article on silly things yogis are up to again. And we're like, wait a minute, like there's a lot happening right now in New York. This was, you know, Well and Good was born right after the, the recession. Our first blog template was like from 2009. And a lot of people had like lost their jobs, lost their home, lost their retirement. And wellness started to become this thing that you didn't think about as like leaving home for not going to, you know, Thailand or Bali or Canyon Ranch for but like it was for what could I now do at home? How can I have this at home? What can I do? You know, can I take, how can I face mask, bath, like give me something. All of this stuff started percolating in New York. We started to see it kind of commercialized, which, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I think it's great that we now have access to like fresh pressed organic juices and healthy farm to table restaurants and whole food stores. You know, these were things that just happened 10 years ago. I mean, 10 years ago in New York, the landscape looked totally different. There were two soul cycle locations. Now there are 20, you know, so things have really evolved. And I think journalism kind of stepped in to say, like, look, if we can report on like, plays in the theater district, and new restaurants with like, quote, unquote, critics, right, they use that word, reviewers use that word, we could be wellness critics. And that doesn't mean negative, it just means using journalism to say, is this a good experience? What's the context for it? What's the science? What's the background? Why is it worthwhile? How does it fall short? And that wasn't something that we just saw happening. Media was pretty harsh on, on wellness or it was largely about how to change your body to please other people. And that did not resonate with me or Alexia either. Um, no, you know, no bikini body stories or melting fat stories for us. Like that just, we wanted this to be something that was about the best part of your day, how wellness could really add to your life. And the plus and well and good has really been that. Like, what can we add? that's just like helping us be the better parts of ourselves that don't get as much time to express when we're running around with like, you know, jobs and grocery shopping and kids and, and all of that. When you just started out and started monetizing and saw the possibility of it being a business, when did you really have that vision and have that trust that, wow, we can actually make this a profitable business and, and grow this? Well, we when we launched 
well and good as a single column, like free WordPress blog in 2009, we said like, let's see if anybody reads this. And if they read it, if like, you know, if we see that people care, then we'll like invest some money and build a real website and become advertising supported. And that was just like a, a pact we made with each other. It happened like four months, five months in New York Magazine picked up one of our articles and like reshared it and put it in their approval matrix. And we were like, that's the sign. So we built a site, we put $5,000 in, like $2,500 a piece, had a site built. An old intern of mine from the magazine world helped us design it. And we launched with advertisers who were some of those people that I mentioned earlier in the podcast, who people we had known from the magazine world who like believed in us and wanted to be of support. And I, I mean, they probably paid $300 for three months worth of advertising. It wasn't a lot because we didn't have a ton of you know traffic at the time, but there were probably six or eight of these brands and, and you know wonderful people behind them who, who believed in us so we could launch as advertising supported and, and show other brands like, you know, look at these beautiful red flower ads, look at these beautiful Hope Gillerman organic ads, you know, you could be here too. And it, so we launched as an advertising supported site. That doesn't mean we were like highly profitable at all. I mean, we were profitable because we weren't taking any money out of the business ever for many, many years. Alexi and I didn't take salaries so we could just hire people and pay for upgrades to the site. So how did you pay for your, I mean, you would get free yoga classes and probably get like free sweet green, but how did you guys live if you weren't taking salaries? I mean, lucky for me, I had severance from, you know, the magazine world that folded, then I had unemployment and then I had a savings that dwindled pretty darn low, I'm not going to lie, before we could, yeah, start paying ourselves something. And actually until pretty recently, we made a lot less than our Many of our employees, we made a lot less so we could still keep a lot of money in the, you know, bank for the rainy days that like keep you up at night as an entrepreneur. You know, I think it's, it's a funny thing. Sometimes I read in, you know, Inc. Magazine and other great magazines for small businesses. There's all this discussion about what entrepreneurs should pay themselves. And, you know, there's this consensus that it's like $50,000 a year. So you look to your investors or to whomever, you know, or just to your own bottom line. We never had investors. Your own bottom line tells you, you know, better not touch that in case you have a bad quarter and, you know, or your site breaks or, you know, something else comes up. So yeah, for us, it just really made sense to, to do that. And it was a time in my life where I was really willing to take that gamble. And it was, you know, bootstrapping your company is, is a choice and it was our choice for sure. And not many people go that route. A lot of people go the like investment route and then they, you know, do have an option to be paid, pay their employees like right off the bat at a great competitive wage. And yeah, so I think it's just like our journey looks a little bit different based on that choice. Are you happy with the choice that you made with bootstrapping? What did it make available for you? I think, I think once we got a couple years in and like Actually, maybe it was more than a couple years. In. There's something nice about just like your, it's your company, it's your mission, and you can do what you believe without needing, you know, your investor saying like, but that doesn't make sense. You can't do that. You need to do this instead. Like we just never had that push pull. And when we went national, I think it was around 2014. 
we finally were able to get the wellandgood.com domain. We had to be on Well and Good NYC for a really long time. I think it was, you know, around that time when we started to go big, we needed like more support and like superpowers that we didn't have necessarily. Those didn't need to come from investors though, because we'd kind of figured out that this was working and people just wanted more and more of it. We realized that 70% of our web traffic was coming from outside of New York, even though for many of those early years, we were just focused on the New York City scene. It was something that people everywhere wanted. So we knew there was opportunity and we were pretty sure we knew how to do it. We were, you know, getting a lot of success in, um, you know, on social and newsletter growth to, to sort of prove we were really onto something. And people kept coming to us saying, well, how do I do this? And we're like, we're, we're just going to do it over here. And then you go, good luck with your own wellness, you know, media company. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we sure we'll give you our secret sauce. Go for it. Something you you brought up a few minutes ago, I think is still so relevant. What you shared is you guys started with a simple one-page WordPress website. Yeah. And you didn't focus on the technology, you focused on incredible content. Yeah. And anytime anyone asks me about how do you grow your Instagram following, how do you grow a blog? Honestly, it all comes back to that. You got to be connected to your why. You got to have high quality content yeah. and you got to be connected to it on energetic level. And then it gets picked up because people feel your sincerity and your commitment to your purpose. And I think that's the piece that is easy to get lost on because there's everyone telling you what hashtags to use and how to boost your SEO and how to get brand partners. But it's it's really quite simple. It's this message of staying in your lane and being committed, in your case, to great journalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and thank you. I'm I'm so glad it feels that way. I mean, it's definitely, you know, our path. I think organic growth like that can take longer. It's certainly like we could have scaled a lot more quickly had we taken investment because then we would have had some of those like boosting boosters, like, you know, being more savvy about SEO and, and things that could have helped us earlier on when we had to learn those things with just ourselves the hard way, you know? So now I think it's very challenging now though, to start a media company in the way we did. You know, I think Instagram is a platform where it's it's more possible, perhaps. But I think full on media company, it really would be very hard now to to be competitive without investment. I think the expectation now is that companies launch like Athena, fully formed from the head of Zeus, like, and they have all the bells and whistles and the team and the brand and the identity, and they know how to capture their readers' attention. Like, there's just I think times have changed in media. It's so competitive and it's consolidated so much. It's so hard for some of the leaders in media to keep the lights on. So I think it's very different times than even 10 years ago. So in the few minutes we have left, you mentioned Instagram, and I want to get a little bit more into that. You said that it's still possible in your point of view to build a brand on Instagram. Tell me more about what role has social media played in building well and good? Hmm. I think it's expanded that feeling of community more than anything right? Embracing our community through I am well and good, which was like a choice to change our handle to that a few years ago, because we wanted, I think I've used the word movement before. And I don't, you know, I know that word gets thrown around a lot, but community (laughs) forming around a greater purpose than ourselves, around wellness, around sharing, around inspiring has, and around non-perfection, you know, all of those things are things that we know our readers want and expected from us. And we wanted to give those to them. So I think the community aspect that social provides, that Instagram provides is 
amazingly important. Visual storytelling is also incredibly important too. I think that like sometimes reading a whole article takes a long time for people time they might not have. I mean, bless them for reading all of our amazing articles, but like sometimes a meme can do it too, you know? And it's a way that people can engage. I, I in fact, meet readers sometimes who are like, I learned about you through your Instagram. That was my way in to subscribing to the newsletter, to opening that newsletter every day, to reading the site, to seeing the advertisers coming to a well and good talks or one of our events at Athleta. Like it's, that's the way in sometimes. So it's, it's definitely, gosh, just a super important aspect of your brand and as a community builder and as a visual storyteller. And also, I just, I love that aspect. I think wellness can be incredibly beautiful and it needed some cliches broken. And we're really happy to do that on our Instagram platform. Mm. And you're someone who probably gets invited to try all the new wellness things. That's probably the perk of being the co-founder of Well and Good. I can only imagine what that's like. If you would like to give us a glimpse into reality of it, I'd love to hear that. And also with that, a glimpse into what are you the most excited about in terms of what's happening in in the wellness world? Mm. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you've pictured me as this like person who gets invited to all the glamorous things happening in wellness. <laughs> I have to say it doesn't happen as much as you're imagining. Thank you. I think sometimes, yeah, maybe this is going back to your I'm behind the scenes a little too much part. I think that like I get drawn out for amazing things like being on podcasts or, or speaking on panels or to audiences or workshops. And it sometimes makes a lot more sense for one of our reporters or editors, you know, to attend events that are about launches or brand new things, because they're the ones who are going to convert that into a meaningful story experience for our readers. Um, I love to connect with people to, so I can program well and good talks with like leading thought leaders in wellness and, and experts. And that's something that I'm always like looking to do. So I will go to like wonderful dinners hosted by people who you know kind enough to invite so I can kind of get to know them hear how they speak about their philosophy how they bring their brand or their book to life for example so you know so I can put them on a panel for well and good or have them co-host a well and good retreat with our readers at Miraval and those are the things that I get really personally inspired by and that I probably spend more time doing than going to brand new fitness studios although I am such a fitness omnivore and like love to try it all and do it all um, really into like dance cardio and strength training right now, but I'll do anything. So except, yeah, except maybe not things that I'm not strong enough to do. Like I couldn't just walk <laughs> into a CrossFit box probably and jump right in <laughs> deadlifting with my trainer. Fine. What are you the most excited about in terms of what's coming up in the world of wellness? Oh my gosh. It's hard to pick one. That's why I'm hesitating. <laughs> I think, you know, there are conversations we're starting to have in wellness now that are really important ones. And like, for me, the mental health conversation is incredibly important that people are opening. There's like a no shame moment, finally, where people can talk about anxiety, depression, insomnia, and like all kinds of things that we know our readers are struggling with. And I feel like that's just going to be a big part of what we're all talking about and, and doing something about finally, culturally over the next few years. I think that piece has been like left out of wellness. Like there's no face mask for the mind, you know, and a lot of us have like deep stuff that you can't like, a, you can't work out away. You can't sweat it away is what I mean. 
I think it helps us all so much, but you know, you, you ask the therapy head what I think. And I think that piece is like finally kind of percolating up. It's always kind of been there in the ethos of well and good, like, you know, in there, how we think about readers as holistic beings. And I'm just, I'm really glad we're in a place now where we can write about things that are helpful to people and acknowledge how many people are actually dealing with this and feeling really alone about it. So important. So important. I love that you brought that up. Before we wrap, my final question is, okay, this is going to be a tough one. So get ready and just answer whatever comes up first with your gut. What recipes are you the most excited about in the Well and Good Cookbook? Or perhaps what are the recipes you actually make most? (laughs) Whichever one speaks to you. Okay. I'm still making them. A lot of them I haven't made yet because our recipe testers made them or, you know, I've eaten more of them than I've made myself because then at the photo shoot, when we did the cookbook. I got to eat a lot of them. There's about two or three that I've made like a few times. I need to keep branching out. One I've made like on repeat several times already is a white bean egg bake by Jody Marino, who has a really cool site called What's Cooking Good Looking. And it's super easy. It's one of these like one pot, although I'd call it like a one skillet meal that's a little bit like a shakshuka. So it's just some roasted tomatoes with some greens. You could use Swiss chard or spinach in a skillet. And you blister the tomatoes and wilt the spinach and you crack some eggs into it and bake it and put some herbs on top. It's incredible. And we've had it for breakfast. We've had it for dinner with friends with a salad and like some olive oil and bread. And it was just incredible super easy. That one I've made a few times. One I've made the most is probably my recipe, the spicy watermelon salad, which is just chunks of watermelon and avocado. And I'm not a big salad dressing fan at all. So it's just squeezed grapefruit juice that has some jalapenos that have been sort of steeping in it to give it a spiciness. And you just squeeze that over the watermelon and avocado with some greens and voila, it's amazing. People we've made it for friends or just like they act like they've never had an avocado and, or watermelon together in their life. And it's like the most brilliant combo. So I trot <laughs> that one out for friends quite a bit. I had a bunch of uh, more recipes at the Well and Good retreat because we made like five of them. And Gaspacho Superior from the founders of Tap Beauty is ridiculously good. And like, if you can work your blender, you can make this gazpacho. It's amazing and easy and definite crowd pleaser. So that's oh, another phase. So good. So good. So good. So that's just a small glimpse into what it is. I have personally bookmarked (laughs) all kinds of chocolate, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, chocolate peanut butter cups, and like cookie dough looking things. Yep. And smoothie bowls. Oh, goodness. Sugar-free tahini fudge. Are you kidding me? I know. And it's only like four ingredients. Yeah. I'll be making so much of this. And if people want to buy this book, what's the best way to buy it in a way that supports you guys? Oh, that's so nice. I mean, any place you're buying the Well and Good Cookbook is supporting us. So you go to your favorite bookstore to do that, order it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or, you know, Target, whatever is easy for you. We're, we're trying to make the book, you know, be everywhere books are sold as well as in like your favorite wellness destinations too. So it's going to be stocked at a lot of studios, like for fitness and meditation. And so you should be able to find us anywhere. Awesome. And is there anything else you wanted to share before we make it an official wrap? Just grateful to you for having me on. And I'm just like, love having you in, you know, the well and good community and family. And so, so glad you could contribute to the cookbook with your awesome breakfast criminal love. So thank you. Mm, Thank you, Melissa. 
If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends, leave a review, and find all the show notes on wokeandwired.com and connect with me on Instagram at wokeandwired. Stay woke, stay wired, and have an incredible day.